sorry, it's been a day. <laughs> she says at 10 to noon. <laughs> yeah, it's not even halfway over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Lauren Elcello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. And in this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we will explore how the Biden administration may impact the water sector and provide updates on the letting copper rule revisions we discussed last month. We'll also briefly share water industry efforts pushing diversity and inclusion. Finally, our interview this month is with Andrea Hall. She is Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Brown and Caldwell. I spoke with Andrea last week about diversity and inclusion, creating safe spaces to have challenging conversations and the importance of confronting issues about race, diversity, and inclusion. But first, let's talk a little bit about the news. The top thing we wanted to mention with you all this month is the lead and copper rule uh, revisions. There was a memo sent out by the White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klain, on the day of President Biden's inauguration. It called for a regulatory freeze on any regulation not yet published in the Federal Register. That memo also went on to include any regulation that has already been published in the Register but had not yet been been effective. So for the lead and copper rule revision, the final revision was approved in December and it was published in the Register in January. But the effective date is March 16th, 2021, according to that published work. But based on the language of this memo, there are a couple things that could happen with the lead and copper rule revision. First of all, the memo calls for any regulation published to, but not yet effective to have its effective date delayed 60 days from the date of the memo. This would only affect the lead and copper rule revision effective date by about a week or so. However, the memo also suggested a possibility of an additional 30-day comment period, and depending on the comments that would be received for the lead and copper rule revision, there may be either changes to the language of the rule itself, or it could totally blow the rule up and have everyone starting from scratch all over again. We mentioned last month that the notable opposition to the lead and copper rule revision was related to the action trigger levels of 15 parts per billion saying that that's not low enough and also that the lead replacement percentage and lead, lead service line replacement percentage of three percent was also too low um, so the those things might come up in those comments and then from the municipal side we wanted to mention too that if those things were to change, uh, it would really place a heavy importance on funding and financing mechanisms to make those things possible for every utility, because not everyone has the same capital to address these issues and challenges head on. So um, wanted to make sure that you had updates on that. It's still very much up in the air at this time of recording, and we will keep you up to date on our website. So Katie, I wanted to move on to you here. You had uh, some information on a um, on an infrastructure bill or something of that nature, correct? Yes. So a national coalition of more than 200 agricultural organizations and urban and rural districts urged President Joe Biden and congressional leadership to address aging Western water infrastructure in any potential infrastructure or economic recovery package. The coalition includes the Association of California Water Agencies, California Farm Bureau Federation, National Water Resources Association, and more. Particularly, the coalition asked the federal government to invest in a diversified water management portfolio that prioritizes both supply and quality, as well as water conservation. 
So it's great to see water and industry unite to champion water infrastructure and sustainable solutions. And so I wonder if we will see an infrastructure bill coming up in the future. Yeah, I believe that infrastructure is a heavy importance for Biden as well, based on language and stuff that he has put out in his messaging. So seeing that there's this coalition of a large number of entities mm -hmm. trying to push this this on uh, uh, this agenda forward and knowing kind of the agenda for President Biden, it make would make sense that this could become a priority of sorts. Um, but I think that'll it'll take some time because a we talk, just talked about this regulatory freeze that I'm sure will take up a lot of time at the beginning. And then um, we'll see where things go, maybe six months from now or something. Yeah. And I researched this a little bit, just cursory, and it's historically been a little bit difficult to pass an infrastructure bill. It's been something that we've been talking circles around for the past few years, to say the least. Um, so Pete Buttigieg was just confirmed as the transportation secretary, and he has said that infrastructure can be a cornerstone for post-pandemic recovery and is trying to kind of position an infrastructure push as a way to give an economic boost and kind of tie that in with COVID recovery plans. So, and in some of his platforms, he has spoken about the need for lead service line replacement and um, PFAS protection measures and the like. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of falls through the pipeline there. Um, if we do see an infrastructure bill, I think it's pretty inevitable that water is going to play a role in it. Water's kind of been increasingly raising its voice in the public profile over the past few years. We've all seen that for sure um, beyond just roads and bridges and, and, and what we see above ground. So certainly interesting to watch. Um, now, segueing a little bit into this month's interview on diversity in water, we just wanted to share some brief uh, updates on water businesses prioritizing these efforts recently. Uh, first, it's hard not to lead with this because we're just kind of celebrating and shouting from the rooftops, but Radhika Fox, former CEO of the U.S. Water Alliance and Talking Underwater podcast guest, of a few occasions has been named the principal deputy assistant administrator for the U.S. EPA Office of Water. Uh, last time she hopped on the podcast with us in the fall, she spoke about some of the pillars of One Water, including water equity, affordability and access and overarching barriers they face. So certainly likely that some of these will continue to be a focus. Uh, second, Xylem has announced it received a score of 100 on the Human Rights Campaign Foundation's 2021 Corporate Equality Index and the U.S. Benchmarking Survey and Report Measuring Corporate Policies and Practices Relating to LGBTQ Workplace Equality. And finally, the Water Quality Association is launching a Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Advisory Council. So now on that note, let's head on over to that interview. Bob, if you want to introduce our guest. Yeah, our guest this month is Andrea Hall. She is Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Brown and Caldwell. She was hired in October of last year, I believe, and she's been hard at work over there making some diversity and inclusion initiatives on top of what Brown and Caldwell was already doing. So we talked a little bit about what that what that looked like before she arrived, some of the key things that you can expect for addressing these issues from a utility perspective and also at conferences, um, what those, how those conversations can be very challenging and how to create more safe spaces to have them. And also about uh, changing the framing, 
the framing of diversity and inclusion to balance and belonging, which we talked about a little bit at the end of the interview. So here's our interview now. So yeah, we have Andrea Hall. She is the Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Brown and Caldwell on the line. Thank you so much for being with us today, Andrea. We appreciate all the time that you're uh, giving to us to discuss this issue. Thank you so much for having me. I'm definitely looking forward to dive right in and talk a little bit more about diversity and inclusion in water. Yeah, so I, I like to start things kind of broad. <laughs> so the, the first question I have here is pretty broad. Um, why, why is diversity and inclusion such an important thing to consider for workers in the water industry, regardless of the vertical or segment that you find yourself in? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we should think about water access and affordability is, is not necessarily equal for every community, right? Like not everyone has the same level of access and um, but we should, um, and this is important for everyone working in this industry to understand, especially as we prioritize our efforts and our actions. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that we often highlight, too, is that without diversity and inclusion, you don't get good perspective and you can't really grow, innovate, change, get new technologies out there. You're missing other brains to help you. You know, like you're, you're totally excluding other really important brains. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I feel like a lot of times we look to, you know, solve problems differently, yet we don't necessarily invite different people into the conversation, and that's a clear miss. The other thing is just innovation, right? You know, that's one of the things that definitely happens with the more you're collaborating with others and have the different perspectives at the table, um, you know, the more innovative your organization is going to be and some of the solutions you may come up with. Um, so you don't, you know, definitely don't want to miss that. Yeah. Well, that that kind of leads into what I the, the next question that I had, which is kind of what 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 do we lose by ignoring these discussions of race, diversity, and inclusion? What how what, what aspects of our industry are worse off because of that, and why why is that uh, the way it, the way it is? Like, what do we lose by ignoring these discussions? I feel like we lose a lot, um, you know, by keeping race um, and diversity and inclusion out of the discussion. We don't provoke people to think differently. Um, we don't set expectations for them to um, consider other people or other experiences. You know, one of the things that you make, you know, that I think about the question that you're asking right now is like the Flint, Michigan water crisis, right? Like, and it didn't necessarily start with someone reporting a water condition. Um, it really is the lack of people having concern for communities and being connected and um, understanding what's really going on there. Um, and and I think when it comes to to the race, you know, when it comes to race, it's you know, over 50% of the community in Flint is black and 42% of that community is below the poverty line. So when we're thinking about affordability, like that's really a big deal. Also what I've mentioned is like water rates that have increased by 41% since 2010. Um, and, And that matters when it comes to affordability. And, and the impact of the people who may be in those underrepresented communities, especially when you realize or if you stop and think, well, well gosh, water is a fundamental right for all of us, not just, you know, those that can afford it. You know, people really shouldn't have to think about um, 
you know, what do I need to sacrifice this month in order to pay for us to have clean water? And I think when we leave race out of a discussion and, and we don't think about how inclusive we are with communities who can't necessarily afford water, um, then, it, it, you know, we, we forget the bigger picture and, 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 and our communities are the ones who suffer from that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I know there's a lot of movement on a lot of those water affordability issues. Uh, we talk we talked a lot on the podcast about water equity, water affordability, and water access. Uh, last October we had a series of articles that kind of dived a little bit deeply into each of those and shared some good uh, some good interviews about why those are such important things. What how can how how do you guys see how does Brown Caldwell when you're looking at those issues how do, how do you guys see utilities engineering firms water treatment businesses all that how can, how do you see them as being advocates for that change how can they help address this issue and where can they start with that I think first of all you know there has to be um, there has to be a better level of understanding um, so that uh, they can be invested in the work, right? Investment is the first part. Um, you have to be invested in it and not afraid to get closer to the problems um, that they're solving for and, 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 the, and the people for that matter, right? Understanding the problem before they try to fix it, especially if you're involved in key water projects and discussions. So you can look at things from a different perspective, uh, what might be important to the community and why, and, and are we solving for that in the way that we're looking for, looking at the work, or can can we solve for that? Right, it's, it's it's a matter of starting to ask the right questions. I think the you know we're dealing with some things now that no one really questioned before, and I think it's important for when it comes to the work for everyone to show up asking the right questions, looking to go in a little bit deeper, understanding how policies impact communities, and understanding how. Um, you know, if if we are taking water from one location to the next or and uh, what that would mean for the community or if water is clean for one community and it isn't for another, you know, having the right conversation so that we can address these issues. And anecdotally, from some of my conversations I've had in the industry over the years, too, sometimes the, the problem stems from something as simple as, like, you need a billing office in that area of town that's easier for them to reach. Because sometimes yeah. just getting across town to go and pay the bill on time is the problem. <laughs> you know, it can be yeah. as simple as something as that. <laughs> right. Or, right. Or even, you know, when it comes to, like, if you're in a location where there's snow removal, right? Like, wanting to make sure that people don't have to deal with issues with snow being removed from the ground. So, um, you know, sometimes that's different from one community to the next. And, and again, how do you even leave your home and do some of these other things if, if that's not something that, you know, is being solved for for you. Yeah, yeah. You have to solve the barriers in, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I, I also anecdotally, I, I've been in, in a lot of conference rooms where there have been discussions about these things, and those conversations can get kind of stressful at times. They can be a little bit uncomfortable. And we, we I believe, and I, I think it's the, the, the belief of our podcast that we find those those uncomfortable conversations and being critical. They're, they're an important part of talking about these things. But the real key to that is making sure that you can have uncomfortable conversations, 
in a safe way, in a safe space. What what are some ways that people can create those types of safe spaces to have those conversations? Say like you're at a city council meeting and this kind of an issue comes up, how do you make sure that you can ensure that safe, put, put, that space is safe to have that kind of a critical conversation without really stretching into some some type of conflict or uh, or anything like that? Yeah, I, I, you know, first of all, I would say, you know, pass on the back for those who are recognizing that the, the conversations that we have been told not to have, but we're, you know, at least walking towards those conversations now, you know, pass on the back because it's, it's tough stuff. It's hard. It's, <laughs> I don't think it's meant to be easy though at the same time, right? If it were easy, um, then, you know, what, what would we be, we be doing here in the first place, right? So I, I think mm-hmm. it's worth acknowledging it's hard, um, but it's the right thing to do. Also, you know, it's important to push past your own comfort zone. So many times, if you think about some of the conversations that we've had to have in the United States over the past year because of different social events, people have, have started to exercise, <laughs> and have these conversations in ways that they never knew that they could. And I think that we would have been in a better place if we didn't encourage people not to talk about race or diversity and inclusion, um, but encouraged it all along. And so I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to own up and where we haven't necessarily supported our workforce in those ways, uh, you know, across the U.S. So I would say push past your comfort zone and be honest about um, your knowledge and comfort level with, with the subject. You know, show grace and ask for grace as well. It's important to be clear about uh, what you're looking to better understand. Um, sometimes, you know, things can come off a certain way, um, but it's important to focus on what do I need to better understand so that I can um, show up and support this community or or this individual or understand, understanding from a different perspective. Um, and so sometimes that honesty is is a clarifying a clarifying moment for everyone in the room. Um, you, you know, I think that's that's probably the best place to start because we can't necessarily continue to ignore some of these things that we need to talk about. We just have to talk about them in a productive way and realize and, and assume good intentions, right? Don't assume that we're all, you know, working against each other. We're just talking about things that we never have before, and that is why it's tough. And also, we I feel like there's been this history of this message of work is work, and anything that, you know, has to do with race or inclusion, those types of things are, are left at home. That's not necessarily the case. We don't leave part of ourselves at home when we show up to work. We don't leave when we come to, part of ourselves when we come together to talk about these issues. And in fact, you know, it's, it's a benefit for all of us that we don't leave part of ourselves at home because we're able to gain the perspective of other people. But we have to show up wanting that perspective, creating a safe place by leaning in, asking questions, being willing to stick it out until, you know, you have a better understanding versus throwing in the towel um, and assuming that it has to, you know, things have to end in a brawl. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think that that is helpful whatsoever. The other thing that I think is so important how people can really prepare themselves for those tough discussions, and I think we often forget about this, is networking and connecting with people who are different than yourself. Because when we take the time to do that, we better understand people from, you know, who are coming from different communities than our own or have different backgrounds in our own, right? A lot of times when we're networking with other people, 
sometimes people tend to like, you know, connect with people who are their similar background or industry or, you know, race and things like that. And so I would encourage people start with networking with people who don't look like you start with networking with people who don't have the same background so that you can better understand other communities. And that way, when you show up to some of these conversations, you've been practicing, you're ready, right? Like it's a little bit different when, when you're used to listening to others. Um, I would also say there are, whether it's town halls or, you know, community discussions that happen, it is so important if you're in this industry to participate in those community town halls and discussions that are, and they are, may not necessarily be your own community, but when you show up again, you're putting yourself, you're a part of the work, right? You're going to where, um, you know, real concerns um, are being discussed. And so it's, it's quite, I, I think it's quite hard to try to solve for things that you don't know anything about. I see. I think that, you hit on a really good point at the end there. I, there's two things I really liked from that. Well, multiple things I liked from that, but two, two of my key takeaways. I love the, uh, ask for grace, but give grace in response. Uh, such a great way to articulate kind of what I was, what, what I'm, what I'm thinking about when you're having these kinds of discussions is it may get heated, but as long as you are graceful in, in your approach to it to one another and make sure that you are doing it with compassion and empathy, that you can still be earnest in that moment, right? Oh, and then absolutely. also, yeah, and then and then also like pursue these conversations. Don't shy away yeah. from them. Like seek them out. When you are at a conference or something like that, you and that there are these types of sessions there about diversity and inclusion. Go to them. Hear what is being yeah. talked about in those rooms. It will change your perspective on kind of what you're what you should be thinking about with with these conversations. It will totally help you uh, address these types of con- these conversations in your own life and also in professional life. So, yeah, absolutely. It's like all of a sudden trying to use a hammer and you never actually held one before, right? Like, you know, <laughs> you use a new tool. You have to practice, right? Like there has to be some practice. There has to be some effort. Um, and some investment. And until we actually make that investment, you know, it's one of those things that we'll continue to go in circles with. So if, again, like get, get more, you know, provide yourself with more opportunities to become more connected to the work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I did want to talk to you too about just Brown and Caldwell in in general. You've been with them for uh, a couple months now since like last October and uh been working on these diversity and initiative uh, in in things and whatnot. So, could you tell me a little bit more about like what what's Brown and Caldwell pursuing? What are some initiatives you guys are working towards and how can other people get involved with those types of initiatives? Yeah, I you know what, it's I'm so glad you asked this question because I can tell you, uh, first of all, I've been at BC since the beginning of of October last year, but I can tell you, I love BC. (laughs) I love Brown and Caldwell. It's amazing. Um, One of the things that really attracted me to the company was the fact that, um, you know, they didn't necessarily have someone in leading, you know, they didn't have a director in DNI leading their efforts and they were still focused on DNI initiatives and doing quite a bit of work. So when I came over, I was super excited because I felt like, wow, this is what they're doing even without having someone in the seat. And I knew that the organization was not just talking about it, but they were passionate and serious about what they want to accomplish in this space. Um, 
So I'd say, first of all, you know, one of the things that, you know, like we're talking about right now, water equity, water affordability, water access, those things are key when it comes to our strategy. And I think you'll find more industry leaders who are looking to looking more towards equity focused performance metrics, right? Like that, I think that's the new discussion that we're having. That's sort of, and I believe that is a discussion that more people, more leaders are having in this industry. Also, you know, we're focused on, you know, diverse representation of our teams, right? Because that brings unique mm-hmm. perspectives. And when we're working on projects with our clients, we want that representation to show up in the work. We want to be able to leverage that. It's, it's important to, again, like I mentioned earlier, it's how do you solve for a community that you don't understand? We, it's important to show up prepared. One of the other things we're focused on at BC is systemic change, right? Making sure we call, you know, when we reference diversity and inclusion, we say balance and belonging because that is what, something that we're focused on. And, and balance and belonging is not just something we say at work, but it's, but it's how we work. Um, you know, how we work with each other and how we work with our clients. How what we do shows up in our work. You know, that is something that's hugely important to us. We also have... Um, a balance and belonging diversity council that we are launching this year in 2021, which we're so excited about. And and our council has members uh, across our organization, different backgrounds. Of course, you know, that is something that was very important to us because we want to make sure diversity and inclusion is embedded in our work. And, Mm -hmm. and we looked at our, at our projects through the lens of diverse teams for perspective from, you know, traditionally underrepresented groups as well. So mm-hmm. it's definitely something that we've made a priority. Um, and again, not just for discussion, but for how we are showing up um, as an organization. Well, I wanted to touch on one thing before I let you go, because you mentioned this balance in belonging versus diversity and inclusion. Or, but I, could you could you elaborate on that? I I've not heard of this before, and I, I'm I'm very curious about it. Yeah, you know, balance and belonging, to, to in short, is really about everyone. It's it's being inclusive. It's making sure that there is. Um, people can show up at Brown at Brown and Caldwell and be their best selves in in our tapestry, for lack of a better word, includes every single individual in that picture. And that's that's a good snapshot of balance and belonging right there, is that it includes everybody. Yeah. Cool. I that it's I I love I love this idea of reframing things. I think that framing is so important in a lot of what we talk about and I think it's a critical part of making sure that you have good conversations, productive conversations on diversity and inclusion or balance and belonging as you as you've been saying. And uh so yeah, so here's here the that reframing, it's got me thinking more about it now and I'm that's that's really exciting for me. Yeah, I think you know, it's it's I definitely think it's one of those things where when people, people will often talk about diversity and inclusion, and sometimes people feel like that doesn't necessarily include them because maybe they're not from um, an underrepresented, a traditionally underrepresented group. And that's not the case. Um, diversity and inclusion does include them as well. Um, and the other thing is with, when it comes to like the idea of belonging, it's, it's, it's again, you feel like you could be your true self at work. And not everyone feels that way, you know, of course, at, at or different organizations, but that is what we, you know, that is what we want people to, to feel. That's what we want all of our 
not just our colleagues, but all of our clients, um, anyone that is, is connected to our work at all. That's one of the, gosh, what a core human value to feel like you belong somewhere, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's, let's all strive yeah. for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think, you know, it's interesting because even when you think about what we've talked about today, where we're talking about water equity, when people feel like they belong, they are part of our conversation, even when they're not necessarily in the room. And mm-hmm. so when it comes mm-hmm. to what we could be doing at, you know, or when it comes to what utilities and engineering firms and water treatment businesses can be doing, it's what are the things, how are we including people in these discussions, these communities in, the, in these discussions, even if they're not necessarily at the table. And that's what that hard work is all about is going out of your way to make sure that this type of belonging takes place too. So, well, like, I appreciate all the time that you've given with us and that what a, what an awesome conversation, what a lovely conversation. I thank you so much for that. I, I learned something new today, balance and belonging. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me to the discussion. Yeah. And for everyone who's listening, we will have some resources from Andrea in the show notes of the issue. So definitely check those out. We'll have some links there that you can follow if you want to learn more and learn some more about balance and belonging, diversity and inclusion, and all the all the things that we discussed today. Thanks so much, Andrea, for talking with us about uh, diversity and inclusion and now balance and belonging. I as I mentioned in the interview, I had not actually heard that terminology before, and I really liked the framing of it and how it reshapes the thought on it. Um, it, it it's I, I've done some research on it since then, and I found a lot of other major organizations are really switching to this balance and belonging framework instead of the diversity and inclusion framework because it creates a more inclusive idea of it's not just about saying saying, oh, these people can be in our organization. It's about making them belong in your organization, about giving them a space to feel welcome and to feel like they are a part of something greater than themselves. And I think that I thought that that was such a beautiful uh, reframing of that that framework. And so I, uh, we will share some links in our show notes that have uh, some of the other corporations and kind of why they made this switch to balance and belonging as well. So. But yeah, we can end up end the episode now. We can go into housekeeping, Lauren. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually was reflecting on this a little bit. Normally in housekeeping, we share where you can find us at upcoming shows too, and we still don't necessarily have an update on that. But um, for WQP, the Checking In video series is now actually on SoundCloud for audio-only podcast listening. If you're in the residential, commercial, light industrial market, this might be right up your alley. You can find that on SoundCloud.com backslash WQP Checking In. And then the other announcement I wanted to share is the first week of March, we are going to be announcing for WQP our 2021 Industry Icon and Class of Young Professionals. I'm very excited to share this with you all, so be on the lookout. And tagging on to the Young Professionals news from WQP, we are currently accepting Young Professionals nominations for Water and Waste Digest. You can fill out our nomination form at bit.ly slash nomination. And also check out our weekly digest video series. Every single week I've been sharing a video interview with an industry leader or an author for one of our articles. You can find the full playlist at bit.ly slash WWD Weekly Digest. And lastly, 
Uh, as we had mentioned last month, the Scranton July Communications Water Group, which includes both Water and Waste Digest and Stormwater Solutions, is bringing a water pavilion to the Utility Expo from September 28th to September 30th, 2021 at the Kentucky Exposition Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And we finally have a form for you to fill out if you have abstracts that you would like to submit. Submitting abstracts is completely free and we're looking to create a really awesome educational track. So submit your abstracts at bit.ly slash water pavilion abstracts. And similar to WQP, SWS will be announcing their industry icon and Young Pros class in the beginning of March in both the print issue and online, so be sure to look out for that. And finally, SWS, WWD, and WQP are partnering once again with Global Waterworks to bring you a new webinar series. The series kicks off on February 23rd at 1 p.m. Central Time, and we'll discuss digital pathways to resilience. You can register at bit.ly slash series one Don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. And finally, don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.